It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and today we're joined by David Cancel, co-founder and CEO of Drift as we discuss the Drift playbook for hypergrowth to discover how the Boston-based SaaS company grew from zero to 150,000 customers in just over four years. Now David has been building companies in B2B and SaaS for his whole career including Compete, Lookery and Ghostery as well as Performable which was acquired by HubSpot in 2011 where David became Chief Product Officer. After leaving HubSpot in late 2014, one month before the company IPO, David founded Drift, and in this episode, we draw on all of David's wisdom to help us change the way we think about and approach growth. We discuss why David founded Drift without a product or an idea, but based on global megatrends, why Drift jumped into a highly commoditized and competitive market, and the evolution of the SaaS space as David explains the three waves of software as a service. In addition, we hear how Drift grew in their early days, why Drift invested in brand from day one, and then how they scaled up by creating a brand new market category, conversational marketing, and how it's changing the way marketing teams market and sales teams sell based on how buyers buy. And to wrap things up, we hear about all the unconventional and unscalable things Drift have done to grow their business. Now, there are a host of takeaways from this episode and make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode where David takes on our Fast Five Challenge alongside his best piece of advice for both marketers and CEOs. So here we go, episode number 32 of the Growth Hub Podcast with David Cancel, CEO of Drift. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub Podcast and it's my pleasure to say we are joined by Drift co-founder and CEO, the one and only David Cancel, aka The Uncle, aka DC. So David, thanks so much for joining us today here on the Growth Hub podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. Most people don't know that this has been a very long time coming. Super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, The Uncle is here. Exactly. Yeah, we were planning to do this in the spring last year when you were actually planning to come to Helsinki for SaaS stock. Mm-hmm on tour but uh yeah couldn't quite do it then but here we are several months later i think definitely worth the wait excited to get into it and i think to start off we could like go back in time so let's go to the early days of drift so it's september 2014 your chief product (laughs) officer at hubspot you know what's coming it's it's one month before hubspot's ipo and you decide to leave to start drift so why yeah crazy number one uh, so, you know, my context going into HubSpot was that uh, I had started my fourth company, then called Performable, uh, which HubSpot acquired. I became chief product officer. I was HubSpot for nearly four years. And, uh, and then we were having this event, which was we were going public as a company, uh, something that we had been working hard towards for a while. Didn't think it was going to ever become possible or not, but it was happening. And at that point, I felt like my team and the product and everything that I had done, I felt like my mission was done. Um, there was lots to be done uh, ahead, but I felt like we were in a good place. And I felt like, you know, it was time for something new. So I'm, you know, addicted to learning. And so that's why I have a podcast called Seeking Wisdom, why I talk about books so much. That's why I do all that kind of stuff. That's like my addiction. And I felt like that my learning had stopped. There was a lot of stuff to learn, you know, going forward, but there were other things I wanted to go back and learn. And so that was, you know, starting a new company and and starting companies is my form of forcing myself to learn. Yeah. And what was the specific mission you had in mind regarding Drift and like changing the way marketing and sales teams actually market and sell? Yeah. So I, you know, I had Performable and HubSpot and all my companies before that, I had always been building software for marketing and salespeople. And, um, and you know, what I felt like, I didn't know that it was going to be, Drift was going to be specifically aimed at sales and marketing, you know, when we started it. Uh, that's always the way, right? But you, uh, what I was looking at and what was I, I was obsessed with were two kind of mega trends that were happening in the market, right? And these trends were, and the reason that mega trends matter to other entrepreneurs is that, and to everyone, and to marketers and to salespeople is that uh, they are 
massive paradigm shifts and changes in human behavior that is happening. And uh, ideally, if you are going to build a new product, start a new company, do something, even create a new marketing campaign, that you want to be aware of those and you want to kind of ride that natural momentum that's happening in the market. And so two of them that I had been geeking out on were messaging. And uh, messaging, you know, I always say has been the same my entire career. You know, for 25 years, it's been exactly the same from a technology standpoint. Nothing is new. What is new is the massive adoption that was happening at the time we were starting the company. In the previous five years of starting Drift, what I had seen was we had gone from subscale, you know, hundreds of millions of people using apps like Skype and other apps like that to all of a sudden because of smartphone penetration, we saw billions uh, adopt, not only adopting messaging, but adopting messaging as their default way of communicating. Massive behavior change, even though there was no change in technology. That momentum has naturally fueled companies like Drift, but it's also fueled companies like Slack and other companies in the messaging market. And WhatsApp and all of these different Zoom, which we're using right now, have been fueled because of this behavior change. As good as any of these pieces of software are, uh, it's really the behavior change that's making them uh, have this kind of massive momentum. So we saw that shift happening. And we saw one other shift that I was geeking out on, which was video. Now, video has always been uh, kind of on the edge of breaking through for a long time. Again, for probably my whole career, it's always been like, this is the year of video. Yeah. And then it's like, it's not the year of video. Uh, not yet. Uh, and so I was looking at that one and I, you know, I thought like, it's, it's coming, but it hadn't hit escape velocity yet in the way that messaging had. So we kind of put video in our back pocket and said, okay, let's start a company around messaging. Don't really know what that means. Don't really know who the audience is, but this is natural momentum. And naturally, because, you know, we've come out of the sales and marketing world, uh, we ended up going back towards that world and applying messaging and this paradigm shift to sales and marketing. Yeah, that's super interesting. So you didn't actually have a product or an idea as such, no. but you started the company looking at what's happening right now. What are the mega trends? What are the big problems we can solve? And then starting from, from there, which I think is very counterintuitive and I think sets the tone for the rest of what we're going to be talking about. And, and you mentioned there in the answer that you had always worked in the marketing technology space. And we know mm -hmm. that MarTech is like more competitive than you can imagine. We've all seen Scott oh, yeah. is his famous MarTech 5000 landscape. So mm -hmm. why did you decide to stay in that game and enter such a crowded market, the MarTech space? Yeah, I think I, you know, I'm the master of, of um, contradictions of like, you know, <laughs> doing the opposite. And because um, those are where the opportunities are, right? It's always where the opportunity is. So, you know, I buck conventional wisdom, maybe too much, but like that is my mode. I'd say, you know, first, you know, on this kind of like product, not having a product, versus focusing on a market, I think that was probably the most important lesson I've learned over founding five companies that I just want to emphasize that if there are entrepreneurs, if there are people thinking about starting products or listening to the show, that that is the most important lesson you can learn. And it is usually your ego, my ego, which kept me for four companies focused on, I just want to build this product because I want to build this product, right? Versus first asking the question, what is happening in the world? What is the change? What is the thing that we can serve? Which is what we've done with Drift. And then, uh, so that's how we started that. But in terms of like MarTech being competitive and not, the other thing that I was saying at the time that we started Drift was that I probably had been saying for uh, a number of years was like that I love highly commoditized markets, mm. which is the thing, you know, when I say that to entrepreneurs or to, to anyone, they're like, they think I'm crazy, right? And I think, you know, uh, and we often had this debate actually at HubSpot, a uh, very spirited debate, uh, many, many a night, because we would talk about there's this book called Blue Ocean Strategy. So if you haven't read it, you know, the premise is, you know, that you want to look for blue oceans where there's a few competitors that you want to stay away from red oceans that are AKA bloody because of commoditization and competitors and all this kind of stuff. And I think there are two ways to interpret that book. Uh, one way is literally go for blue oceans. And I think people uh, think, kind of, um, kind of think of that as like, let's invent a market, right? Because there's no, by definition, there's no competitors there. That's one way. And my way, which is the opposite is like, no, you don't want to look for markets that have no competitors in it, because if there's no competitors, there is no market by definition, right? There is no market. Uh, and because all things that we build and create in the world serve, you know, the same selfish set of needs that we have and biases that we all have, you know, and we can, 
that's a whole nother uh, subject. But like there, there are no new markets. What you want to do is try to understand like, are there paradigm shifts like the one that I was talking about in the case of messaging or video or are there other changes that are happening in the world that allow you to resegment an existing market and to create a blue ocean out of a, red, a giant red ocean, right? Because then if you can do that, then you've proven that there's a demand because there is a large market. You can probably rethink or, or, or capture a large share of that red market, uh, red ocean over time. And, uh, and you've created by definition this new category, this new, this new thing within uh, this red ocean. And so that was on my mind for sure in starting this. And so like looking at marketing and sales and saying at the time, I think Scott Brinker probably had like 5,000 companies or something like that on that. It's well over 10,000 at this point. Uh, I, I probably, I believe there's probably a lot more than that, but let's say it's 5,000 at the time. I was like, this is awesome. This is great. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, let's go back. Not only one, because we have a perspective going in. Two, because we're going in with a shift and resegment this market. And, uh, and three, because it's a massive market where a lot of money is being spent. So aka, there is a market, there is a need there. Yeah, exactly. And I think this leads really nicely onto the next topic, because as you mentioned, the MarTech space has exploded even more since back in oh, yeah. 2014, 15, when, when you started mm -hmm. Drift. And a foundational part of the Drift playbook for hypergrowth has been brand. So yes. let's talk about that. And why then did you decide to invest in building a brand from day one at Drift? <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's another one of my, we can go on like, yeah. my endless list of rants all day yeah. long. This could be its uh, own episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> DC list of rants, uh, yeah. <laughs> book of rants. We'll start a little book. Uh, so the reason that I wanted to start a brand from the very beginning, when we started Drift, and that's why, we even came up with the name Drift, right? Because it kind of denoted this feeling that we wanted. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with software. It had nothing to do with the, the thing that we were building because we always thought from day one that we want to create this global brand, not a, glo not a software brand, not a tech company in Boston or the United States. Like we want to create this global brand. And the reason that we thought that was important was that I was looking at the market and saying, I think we're entering the third wave of SaaS, right? We're in the third chapter. And first I'll describe what the first two chapters are. The first, the first wave was um, back in the early 2000s, like when Salesforce and NetSuite and all these other companies that we all know kind of really got started at that time. Uh, they were bringing a new technology into the market and that new technology was taking something that used to be on-prem, so software you would install on servers that you owned yourself, and creating this thing that we now call the cloud and hosting that software up there and then paying a new pain instead of a one-time kind of fee with some maintenance fees that you were paying, you were amortizing this cost over time and you were paying them a little bit each month. That was a massive mental shift for the world, right? It seems like, yeah, no duh right now, but like that was like a crazy shift. Because I started a company in 2000 uh, where we were doing that as well. Uh, but we, there was no category. It was not even called SaaS. Like we called it like, oh, we're going to sell subscriptions via e-commerce on the internet. And like, we couldn't even explain it to people. Like it was like, what? And people would say, no one's going to put a credit card online except to buy books. Right? Like that was still the stage, right? If you remember. And so uh, that first stage, that first wave of SaaS, it was about building moats so building you know, your moat around technology because you were mostly competing with one or two ancient dinosaur companies that sold a totally different technology. You were bringing this new technology. Those old dinosaurs could not change and could not pivot to be able to copy you. And so you had a moat around your technology. We used to invest in patents back then. We had trade secrets. We had all of this stuff because it was we had no Google, remember? There was no way to search for you know, how to build a SaaS app. There was no Heroku. There was no AWS, right? Like you have to remember all these things. So no one really knew how these things could be built technically. That was the first wave. I call that wave the, the Edison wave because it's like, it's like Thomas Edison. It's like if you could invent it, that was by definition your moat, right? And, uh, and that was enough. And then we entered the second wave and that's when Performable and Zendesk and HubSpot and all those other companies that, you are, that are massive now really got started. Mailchimp, etc., all these companies, and uh, that way, that was I call that the Henry Ford stage. 
right? So Henry Ford, the the owner, the the creator of the Ford Motor Company, because that was a stage that was not about technology. That was a stage about who could build the factory. Because the one thing that none of us at the time understood, including us at HubSpot and Performo and Zendesk and all those people, we knew all those same people at the same time, no one really knew how you could build these factories, right? Like no one really knew like would freemium work? Could MailChimp actually build a business? Because it seemed like it was just a weird, like a feature of something else, you know, like this thing at the time that just saw, sent emails. It didn't seem like it could be big enough to, to, uh, to start a business. But guess what? Compounding works right? Compounding over time makes these businesses massive. But at the time we didn't know. And so we call it the Henry Ford stage because it was a race to who could build the best factories. Did you use freemium? Did you use inside sales? If you use inside sales, like how did you pay them? How did you comp them? What was LTV? What was LTV to CAC? What was like payback periods? Like all this stuff that we can all talk about now, these, all these acronyms, no one knew them. No, there was no information. There was no Jason Lemkin. There was no David Scott Dex. There was nothing you could read about this stuff. And so your defensibility at that time was, what was the category you're in? What, did, what was your economics? What did your model look like? All of that kind of stuff. Basically, how efficient your factory was, was your, your, your uh, differentiator. But my argument was, when we started Drift, we were in a third wave of SaaS right? Because that was no longer true. Now we had the Jason Lemkins, we had the Sasser podcast, we had the David Scott's, we had all the information in the world. Everybody knows how to build a factory. That's where we're going from 5,000 tools in uh, when we started Drift to now well over 10,000, like that overnight, right? And that is the rate of new entrants competing in this market and in every market you know, the market to build water bottles, the market to build phones, the market to build this laptop is accelerating, not decelerating. It's not holding steady. It's accelerating. Because, also because the, the world is coming online at the same time. So you have global competition. I call this phase that we entered in now the Procter & Gamble phase, right? Procter & Gamble uh, is a big uh, global company and they sell everything from like Tide Soap to uh, dish detergent to all this kind of stuff. They own hundreds of brands. And the reason I call it Procter and Grant Gamble and why to go back to your question, I invested in brand was I thought the way that we're going to have to build a moat in this third phase is we're going to have to build the biggest brand possible, right? And have the closest relationship with the customer and what we serve that customer may have to change over time. It may be software. It may be something else over time because I think the other rant, which I won't go into that I had at the time, and I still do, is that, that I think like software has gone to zero. Like nobody cares about software anymore. Like if you ask a normal human being, like they don't care about what is software, what is people, what is whatever. You know, you can use any example you want. You can use Airbnb, you can use Uber, you can use whatever you want. Who I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's people or algorithms or software or something else, but I don't care. Right? Like I just can't you know, like that someone picks me up and I get somewhere, right? That's your problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. That was awesome. So we had the first wave of SAS. We had the Edison wave, then the Henry Ford wave, and now we're at the P and G wave. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned about the, the name drift and choosing that. And I remember when I first started using drift, this was mm -hmm. way back, what early 2016. I remember drift yep. with two T's. Yes, <laughs> because I was too cheap to, yeah, yeah. to buy the proper <laughs> exactly. domain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a, an email from DG from early 2016 with the, with the old. That's amazing. That's yeah. That's old school. So mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And yeah, you mentioned earlier that when you actually started Drift, you didn't really know what products you would build or what the mm -hmm. actual idea itself was. But then, as you scaled up and and started realizing that, you've spoken about the importance of companies finding their wedge or finding your wedge in the early days yes. of building a company and launching products. And for Drift, that was product marketers. So can you explain the mm -hmm. concept of finding your wedge and yes. why you decided to target product marketers specifically in the early days? Yes. So um, finding your wedge is, is definitely another lesson that has been painful to learn over the years, because I think, you know, we all want to, especially once you've built software or you built anything, any kind of product before, then you, you know, um, then you feel like that you can build lots of it and there's no end to it. And, and you want to just keep creating things and creating things is more fun than, than uh, maintaining them and growing them. And so um, 
I think, you know, early, it was early in my career, it's natural to just want to start more ideas. And, uh, but, you know, starting Drift, we came in with the idea of like, we have to find our wedge. We have to uh, stay within that wedge. And that is easy to say, but living it every day is painful because we all have like endless ideas and we see this happening and that happening and this and all this stuff, all this change happening in our world. And to stay focused on the wedge is really hard because, and it's super tempting to do the other things because not only do you see ideas and have ideas, but you see money here and customers are asking you for it and they're willing to pay you. And it's like, it's really, really difficult. And so for us, it was like, we need to, and we're still, if you look at Drift today uh, in terms of, what drift is today versus what drift is from a vision standpoint and what we've been, uh, how we think about drift internally, we are still at the very beginning of the wedge, right? We are still at drift today is at the very uh, tiny end of the wedge, right? We're just at the beginning. It is nothing. Uh, it is very different than where we think uh, drift will go. But, you know, so we needed to find this wedge and, the, and by wedge, what I mean is, uh, in order to get into a company, you need to find the smallest point possible to kind of get inside that company or get inside of that customer. Uh, if it's not a B2B scenario, get inside and then form a wedge and grow over time, right? So you want to get in with the smallest footprint as possible. And ideally, you want to land and expand over time and do more for that company. Perfect example of this is, you know, companies like Dropbox and other companies like that where they one you can get in with one user within a company and then all of a sudden uh, it could spread within, within the entire company and you can be dealing with enterprise stuff as well as personal solutions. That's kind of the best, easiest example. And so we said about finding this wedge. And, you know, for me, I thought um, I, I kind of stepped back and said, OK, what are the two? If I were to try to enter a company because we knew it would be B2B, what are the, what are the places that would, we would be, um, it would be the easiest to cause change within a company? And I thought for me, if it's a SaaS company, if it's a company that has engineers, one would be engineering, right? Because uh, within any modern company, if they have engineering, engineers get whatever they want, no questions asked. If they say they want to buy this thing, it's getting bought tomorrow in the story and then um, the other one was uh, sales because again if sales says I can't do my job unless I get this thing it's good guess what tomorrow it's gonna get bought uh, and then you know the demand gen probably the next best one but like it's really in this kind of revenue generation or this kind of IP kind of creation which is the product side of things and then every other function within a company it's hard work you sell into support it's hard work to get them to pay. If you sell them to finance, very hard work. Every other team is really hard. So we had this idea of like, if possible, let's come in through one of those entry points. Uh, and then we try to find the smallest entry point and we started to talk to a lot of product marketers. And that was our initial entry point was around product marketers because they were kind of at the, at least the way that we had used product marketers at HubSpot and we do a drift, you know, product marketers are kind of at the intersection of, uh, you know, marketing, demand gen, kind of sales enablement and uh, engineering kind of in the middle. And it was an audience that really no one ever spoke to or created products for. It was kind of like this, this area. And so we got in originally from product marketers. And then what we learned over time within those companies that it was like getting closer to the sales use case was the most compelling part. And uh, we still serve product marketers and, and demand gen marketers heavily, uh, but it's really that you know, sales enablement, that, that sales piece of things that where it really started to take off. Yeah, yeah, love it. And then as you grew, you developed a very clear category strategy. And this is when we first started hearing the words conversational marketing. So before we mm -hmm. dig into that specifically, could you tell us why did you decide to create a category. Yeah, it goes back to, um, well, one, you know, two reasons. One um, was the natural reason, which was, hey, there, we really believe that this sh paradigm shift is happening. And we saw it, uh, so we believe it's happening. We don't know what to call it. We keep, you know, I keep telling this long story about like the shift that's happening, going from companies to customers, like blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about this stuff. So I need, we needed a way to have a shorthand to describe that. 
versus me telling this story about walking into the empty store and no one's there and this and that and whatever, but we need like a shorthand. So that, that was a reason. And then the other reason was kind of the, the going back to the blue ocean strategy of like, okay, if we have an existing market and we're going to resegment it, what is it called? Because it can't be just called marketing and sales because it's a resegmentation of the existing market. So it needs a name. So both things were kind of like pulling us saying like it needs a name. And then we kind of went on the, you know, again, just like naming your company, like naming a category. It was just like DG, who's a VP of marketing. And I uh, spent endless days and hours and minutes going back and forth on names. And I hated every single name. Uh, and I hated conversational marketing as a name, by the way. But that was kind of the least hated one. And so we, we eventually went with that. But uh, there was a whole bunch of other ones that, that I hated just as much. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds very similar to the situation with SaaS and software as as a service in that no one knew what to call it. So everyone was calling it, uh, you know, cloud-based software, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, it has a catchy ringy name to it. So what exactly is conversational marketing then? Yep. Yes. Yes. So we created this category conversational marketing. And um, the idea of conversational marketing is that we thought, and we do, we think that uh, the shortest path. So again, we were coming from a sales use case and we started to think about like first principles, like what is the shortest path? Like what is the thing that is always true? And we thought like, look, if you have a sales person within your company, if you're a company that has a salesperson, you have never made a sale unless there's been a conversation. Like, it, like if we were to start backwards, if we start from like the, you know, start backwards, invert and say like, no sale has ever happened you know, obviously, if you don't have salespeople, you have sales with our conversations. But if you have, if you start with the, the idea of like, there is a salesperson, there is a customer, then therefore, there can never be a sale without a conversation in that scenario. So we started to think about that. Okay, that is the basis of it. And we thought, what's wrong with marketing and sales today? And we started to think like, our thought was like, well, we had gotten so far, which is what we do always uh, as humans. We had gotten, we've overcorrected so hard, far because we thought like, well, now we can track everything and it's all about being data driven and we can put everything in a spreadsheet and we can do all this, blah, 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 blah. we can do all this stuff. And we got like so crazy and frantic about like measuring this and funnels and pixels and this and that and that, that we forgot the most important thing, which is that, that there was a person on the other end, um, a human, a customer not a prospect, not a lead, not an email address, not a pixel, not a whatever. There was a person. And then the, in our case, in B2B, there was a person here. And that those two people needed to have a conversation. And so conversational marketing for us is going back to the beginning of sales, right? The beginning of relationships and focusing on the conversations and getting out of the way and, uh, of that happening. And because now we've gotten to a place where we can have those conversations in person, online, over Zoom call like this, it can happen. And if your software is smart, which is what we produce, then we can take care of the rest and we can make it just feel natural about two humans having a conversation. So conversational marketing to me is about this, this shift towards companies having all the control, which is the era that we're coming out of, right? To this idea that the customer is in control and the customer wants to be serviced and wants to have an experience that is amazing. Uh, and so that's the beginning of conversational marketing. It's really around the conversation being the key thing versus the capture, the step, the email, the lead, the pixel, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think you uh, mentioned that marketers, we became so obsessed with the funnel and attribution mm-hmm. and metrics mm-hmm. and now your MQL status and then you move to SQL yeah. and then you receive this like email, you're enrolled into a 30 day drip campaign and so forth. Maybe you then become opportunity and so forth. And we became so obsessed with all this that we totally forgot about the person, the human and actually having that conversation, the interaction, making a connection. So how is conversational marketing then actually changing the way marketing teams, market and sales team sell and overall that they, they actually operate? Yeah, it's, it's been even with, you know, where we are today with the small wedge, it's been a massive shift. And it, and it is on, on some ends, you know, also a hard shift to understand as all transformations go. Like, you know, you mentioned NQLs before, like, that's an important thing. Like when we started uh, and today, like, if you think about Drift, like we set out to create this 
fast lane on your website. So imagine you have a website and today you have lead capture forms, which everyone has, and you have nurturing campaigns, you have all this kind of stuff. That is to us the slow lane, right? Because it takes a long time from human here, customer to human here within the company uh, to hopefully get back to that person. And what we did with Drift and we do with Drift today is kind of create this fast lane, this like uh, express lane where, you know, we can have a conversation in real time here with our bots, right? Um, which I've left out. And then we can route it in real time to the right person here. And so like all of a sudden it's um, almost like, you know, it's taken the, the model of this neat little funnel and like, you know, crushed it or like made it disappear, right? And that's the hard thing to get past because like uh, from a result standpoint, it's like massive results and the results the reason that our customers get massive results is obvious, right? Because instead of making someone wait weeks, months, or maybe never getting back to them, you're answering them when they have the need. And so they are therefore more likely to have a good experience and therefore more likely to want to have a relationship or to buy something from your company. That is obvious, right? Right. Forget the technical of how it works, but that's obvious. That's why it works. And, um, but, you know, if you go back to that MQL thing that you brought up, a traditional marketer would be looking at, you know, visitors to um, leads, to marketing qualified leads, to sales qualified leads, to sales accepted leads, to opportunities, to blah, blah, blah. I can keep going on forever. It goes on forever. Um, with Drift, what happens to them is that often someone will go from a, a visitor to an opportunity in the same session, or they'll go from a visitor to a customer in the same session, right? So it's like happened instantaneously like that. So from a business standpoint, that's amazing. And the business is like, this is amazing. We're making more money. We have more meetings, we've got more demos. The salespeople are happy, but the marketer can be left thinking, is this an MQL? <laughs> like where, where do I, you know, and I've had this conversation repeatedly where people and they'd be like, uh, was this an MQL? And I'm like, no. And they're like, I'm like, it's not an MQL. They were a visitor. They're a customer now. They already paid. They paid already. And they're like, okay, uh, is this an MQL? And I'm like, it's not an MQL. What? It's not an MQL. Right? Like, it went. You, we skipped all that. Right? Because we're still stuck in the frameworks of the past. Right? We're still stuck in like, okay, it's not an MQL. Was it an SQL? No. It was an opportunity. It was a visitor to an opportunity or it was a visitor to a sale. That's what you want, right? Like, you know, if this was a real world example and you walked into the store, you wouldn't be confused about someone buying something from you and whether it was an MQL or an SQL or whatever. This is the lunacy that we've gotten ourselves into by overcorrecting, over being focused on these acronyms and these measurements and losing the humanity in what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like reprogramming the way we think as B2B marketers and that there is no such thing as an MQL anymore no. and, uh, yeah exactly and and you've actually written a book all about this with dave yes. gerhard aka the yes. shout out to gg called conversational marketing how the world's fastest growing companies use chatbots to generate leads 24 7 365 and how you can too so can you give us like a sneak peek into the book and tell us what we can look forward to when it comes sure, out the, the book is coming out um later this month so on the 30th of january of, of this year, 2019. And, uh, and so we had last year, uh, Wiley approached us, which is a, a giant, I think the biggest bu big book publisher out there. And, uh, and we had known them because they published the inbound marketing book years ago, uh, back in the HubSpot days. And so we had a relationship with them and they came and they wanted, they had been hearing about the category because not only were we talking about it, but all of a sudden, Lots of other companies were using conversational marketing, which is exactly what we want. And so it was beyond just us. And, um, you know, Gartner had, uh, had recognized the category. Forrester had recognized the category. Serious Decisions had recognized it. G2 Crowd, like all of these things were starting to recognize this conversational marketing category. And, uh, and so they wanted the definitive book to be published on Wiley. And so they approached us. We started writing the book. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm excited about that being published. But in it, you can see real examples about like more about the paradigm shift that I'm describing, how you can change your business to go from this mentality, especially if you're in B2B of this mentality of like my, you know, my business only runs nine to five 
uh, five days a week to this idea that my business, and this is what we use bots for, is available 24-7, 365, seven days a week, all the time on demand, just like everything else in our lives is becoming, right? It, everything is available on demand, and we need to make the leap as B2B companies to make available our soft services, our software, our websites to be available 24-7, 365, but people have to sleep, and therefore, we'll talk about how we can use bots and you know that form of automation to actually make the experience more human as weird as that sounds right we're actually using automation to get towards that personal relationship that we're talking about to shortcut it uh, but to really make that available when the customer wants it not when the company dictates it yeah exactly love it so january 30th check it out i guess all good retailers will be... Uh... Yeah, all good retailers. You <laughs> exactly, know. yeah. Uh, obviously, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all that yeah. other stuff will have it, but um, uh, all over the world will be available. Yeah, exactly. Great stuff. So looking forward to that. And I think one theme that has really come up during the discussion so far has been contradictions. And yes. I think one thing I would love to dig into now is along the lines of conventional thinking, which typically leads to conventional companies. This is something you've mm -hmm. talked about a lot on, on your podcast. Mm -hmm. And you have a reputation for doing things differently to everyone else and avoiding things like growth hacks, best practices, these scalable yep. tactics and so mm -hmm. forth. And a big part of your marketing philosophy and hypergrowth playbook has been to actually do things that don't scale. So again, another contradiction that mm -hmm. the scale, you do things that don't scale. So I would love to hear what are some of the unconventional and unscalable things that you have done to actually grow drift yeah i think the whole this whole is i talk about dichotomies all the time and contradictions and uh and probably the one that drives the people the the craziest is the one that you mentioned which is this idea of well probably the one that drives the people the craziest is when they ask me about like should we do a or b i say both that one <laughs> the blows the the closer you are to an engineer the more that'll blow your mind um <laughs> And uh, so that's number one. Number two would be the, the one that you mentioned, which is in order to scale, you need to focus on the things that don't scale, right? And, uh, and what I mean by that is that often we've been taught that, you know, scalable means uh, we put it in a spreadsheet, we have a process, we have a whatever you want to call it, you, and that is the key to scaling. Uh, but, you know, my view is like that is not the key to scaling that may be a good process but you know uh the key to scaling is one you have to go again go back to the beginning and say what are we scaling we are scaling people-based systems right so we're scaling people right and people are not easy to scale right people are hard right business uh marketing whatever you want to talk about selling business writing software all easy people damn hard right? Really hard, right? And uh, that's where you'll spend the, the bulk of your career and the bulk of your life focus on people-based issues. It will not be nice and neat little systems and, and processes, right? Uh, so that's the easy stuff. It's good to have the process, good to have the Excel spreadsheet, whatever, but those are not the key to scaling. The key to scaling is how do you build human relationships, right? So to me, it's all been meta because this is what we're trying to enable with Drift as well. So like Drift is like a whole meta thing, right? Because like for years I've been on this thing about like, it's all about people. It's 99% people, people are the key to scaling. And in some ways that is exactly what we're enabling with Drift and what we think the big paradigm shift, it's all like one big meta thing. Um, but you know, people are the key. And so how do you get people aligned? How do you build relationships? And so for us, from the very beginning, we've done things that other people, other people wouldn't do. Like simple things like you know we would answer every you know anyone who would want us in the early days to talk about anything i was on the plane right i'm on the plane i'm on the bus i'm on the whatever i'm going there yeah no matter what and we did it i did it for years in the beginning uh, i'd go talk in front of 10 people 20 people whatever you know one person it didn't matter like if if there was someone I was going to go out and reach out. We continue to do this. We do it in person. We also do it online. Uh, so someone sends us, you know, someone leaves a comment somewhere. I'm replying to that comment. You know, uh, if they have some experience, I'm following up. I'm sending them a t-shirt. I'm sending them books. I'm sending them whatever. I send books every single day to people. Why? I don't expect anything out of it. 
I don't think you know, I'm the, this is not about a lead capture strategy, right? This is not, this is about building relationships. And we think if we continue to do the things uh, that are right, that over time, uh, those things will, if we give that over time, those things will come back at some point and that we don't have to have a perfect formula for measuring that, right? And um, we feel good about doing that. And so we do those things that don't scale uh, like that, like responding to everyone, like doing personal videos, like showing up, you know, at, at places and hanging out with, you know, people in our community, like, like I wanted to do in Helsinki, like, we want to do all of those things. And those are the things that leave a brand, uh, a relationship, a memory, right? Because you're like, whoa, that was weird. What was that? That dude just sent me a box of books. Like, that's never happened before. That is something that you will tell other people about. Again, that's not the reason we're doing it. That's the thing that you'll say like, wow, that was awesome. They didn't ask me for anything, right? I, they've never asked me for anything, but they continue to give. And that's the kind of people we want to be around. And that's the kind of people, uh, that's the kind of people we want to be as well. So we do things like that all the time. I can go on non-scaling things. We actually yeah. the, we published a book that you can find on our website and we'll send you that book, which is a paperback book for free. Um, and it's called... Uh, this won't scale. That's the title yeah. of the book. This won't yeah. scale. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention that that you mm -hmm. actually wrote a book about all these unscalable things, and it's not an ebook, but a, a book book. Which and we will send it to you for free. Yeah, which might be the most meta unscalable thing <laughs> that I think has ever <laughs> happened in the history of marketing. Totally. And, uh, yeah, yeah that's actually a, a project we at Advanced B2B B were like so thrilled and lucky enough to work on with you guys. Yeah. So shout out to totally. Dan and Pinya. And so yeah, if you want to read more about that then we're going to add a link to the uh, show notes if you want to get your your copy of that and uh, and check it out yeah, and we're personally delivering i forgot what it is the first couple hundred first few hundreds we've personally delivered those books right so okay. it's not it's not even like oh yeah it's a free book and they'll send, ship it to me and it's some drop ship whatever it's like no we have taken these books and we have delivered these books ourselves and uh we won't do that for the tens of thousands of books but we've done it for the first few hundreds of those books for sure yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's uh, yeah. Unbelievable. And I think like one thing we haven't spoken about yet, and we could talk about now just before we wrap up and, and finish mm -hmm. with our closing five questions. And that is another unscalable thing that you have been doing at Drift and that's a conference. So you launched a conference yes. and we've been talking about the Drift playbook for hypergrowth and the conference mm -hmm. itself is called hypergrowth. So could you tell us like, why did you decide to go big on an event like hypergrowth at a conference. Yeah. 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 Another crazy idea. So we had the, the hypergrowth came out of uh, Dave and I starting a podcast that's called Seeking Wisdom. And um, when we started the podcast, you know, we, I didn't want it to be the Drift podcast because one that bores me and I wouldn't listen to the Drift podcast if I were, if I were anyone. Uh, and I just, and I didn't want to talk about drift and I didn't want to talk about software, but it came about because we were having all these conversations in the office. And at one point we started recording them and sharing them with people and it became the podcast. And when you meet Dave or myself, I think the, the most common thing that we get back from people is like, oh, this is just like the podcast. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's no difference. Like that's not like an act or whatever. It's just like that. It's just a normal conversation. So they're like, they're surprised, but it, 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 that's what it is. That's how we started it. So we started this and we started to build this community around seeking wisdom or the community started to build itself. Actually, we didn't build anything. We just put out the podcast and, uh, and they wanted more and we wanted to do more in there, regardless of it having any impact on drift. And so we decided to start a conference, which in the beginning we thought would be like, you know, almost like a meetup. You know, so we, we first the first version of it was going to be like a meetup and we were going to hold it here and maybe we were going to get we were going to get a few friends of ours to speak at it. But it was going to be more meetup style. And then I do what I always do, which is like as soon as we set some goal for the meetup uh, for the meetup, Dave said for the meetup hypergrowth, then I like doubled it and then I tripled it and then I kept increasing the goal. And then all of a sudden the goal was like, we need to get a thousand people. To, uh, to the first, you know, hypergrowth, which was going to be a meetup, all of a sudden became a, a, a conference. And, and then, but we had some rules. We had like, uh, well, one, I, you know, I attend a lot of conferences, speak a lot of conferences. I'm like, but most conferences bore me, so I don't want it to be a conference. I want it to be more like a festival, more like feel like, you know, this kind of make affair, like that we're learning together and all this kind of stuff. So we had a whole bunch of crazy ideas. We got a whole bunch of friends and other people that we knew that we thought were going to be entertaining, not people who were other B2B marketers. We had a couple of those, but 
we try to stay away from the that stuff and we wanted to make it an event where you felt like you were learning things for your life for your you know uh help for your you know job for for all these different things and so we had people talking about meditation and talking about uh exercise and talking about work and all these kind of different things right because i think all those things add up to who you are right you are not just b2b marketer edward right uh and so we created this thing and it was you know it took us by surprise we had over a thousand people in the first hypergrowth, which was here in Boston. We did it again last year, and we ended up doing it in two cities, uh, San Francisco and Boston. And um, and we had 4,500 people uh, across those two. And then um, this year, 2019, we we're going to do it in London. So we're going overseas, our first one. And then we're going to do London, uh, San Francisco, Boston. And uh, those three were aiming to have over 10,000 people across those. Okay, awesome. I was going to ask because I know that you had Hypergrowth East in Boston last year and Hypergrowth West in San Francisco. And of course, we have a lot of listeners here in Europe. So I was going to ask, did you have any plans? So London, yeah. 2019, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, we had, it. we had, I was always surprised, even in the first Hypergrowth, how many people had come from um, Nordics, you know, uh, UK kind of area, so the EMEA area. And we had even some people from Asia Pac, even in that first one. And then we had a ton in uh, last year for the San Francisco and Boston one. And so we had a lot of people, especially uh, in Europe, uh, who were interested. And so that's what brought us to Europe. It was no other idea than we have a lot of friends there and a lot of people want us to come, so we're going to come. Great. I can't wait. Do you know when it's going to be? It is going to be in June. So there's a big, I forgot the exact date, but there is a big, um, big festival that happens in London around this for two weeks in June. And it's going to be at the beginning of those two weeks. Okay, great. So June, 2019, Hypergrowth, London. Yep. Let's do yep. it. That's good. Hypergrowth.com. And so you can find out more. Yeah, perfect. Love it. All right. And I think this leads us nicely to our closing questions and we could finish up with our fast okay. five challenge that we have at the end of every episode. So all I'm going to do is ask you five questions and you have to answer rapid fire as quickly as possible. So DC, are you ready for this one? Yes, let's go. All right, let's do it. The first one might be tricky for you actually. So what's the one, <laughs> the one book you would recommend others to read? Uh, uh, that's, a tr that's too hard for me, but I'd say uh, I'll take the easiest one, Managing Oneself. It's a little book, costs $5. It's by Peter Drucker. Uh, it'll take you, at, at worst case, two hours to read. And you should read it not once, but every five years. Yeah, great book. Second question, a SaaS company that you love and why? Hmm, that's a hard one because I'm in SaaS. Like who do I, what company do I love? Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for um, what the, the team at Envision has done. I know Clark for a while, who's the CEO. And so Envision is basically a SaaS product around design. And so I really like not only the product, so there's lots of products that I like, but I like that they've created this bigger movement than themselves and that they've always given back to that design community through movies, through products, through what have you. And so I respect what they do. Great. Third question, your favorite place to read about marketing online? <laughs> Is there a I don't book? like to read about marketing online. <laughs> oh, you don't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I like to read books. Um, the, no, what, you know, I love, you know, no, um, I love the work that you've done. So I'm not just saying that, uh, cause you've done some detailed stuff. So I like that. And, uh, I like to, you know, I try to go more long form now, you know, I used to mm -hmm. try to keep up with back in the day, the RSS feeds and all the blogs. And I used to be an early blogger, uh, but there's just too much information now. And so what I'm trying to do not only online and offline is like, I'm trying to go to stuff that's the, the test of time that people keep going back to, whether it's an old blog post or an old, uh, you know, book or whatever. And I'm really trying to let that natural selection kind of like, um, help me. Yeah, exactly. And then the fourth question. So what would be your most important growth metric for you guys at drift? Hmm. Well, for, uh, it's going to be revenue retention. So from as a SaaS business, it's revenue retention. So it's like, it's like, um, what is your, because it, it really tells you, you know, how much, how valuable your, your customers find you if they're expanding their relationship with you over time. 
right? The inverse of just looking at churn, churn growth, especially gross churn, doesn't really tell you that much. It tells you something, but net revenue retention tells you a lot because that's expansion. That's expanding the relationship. Yeah, exactly. And then your best piece of advice for SaaS marketers out there. Mm. Uh, run from consensus, right? Run from consensus. Don't study other marketers. Study, especially in your industry, study what works, period, right? And that works in all of our lives, right? And one other piece of advice. If you had not read the book Influence by Robert Cialdini, then you are not a marketer yet. So go read that book. <laughs> and that's a Bible, must-have book. And give that to three or four of your friends because until you read that book, you don't really understand the beginnings of how people make decisions. Yeah, perfect. Love it. And I could actually ask one extra question, and that would be what All would right, be your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS CEOs? Oh, for SaaS CEOs? Uh, find, I always say find mentors, peer groups, role models, and uh, switch them out every few years because um, there are very few that are going to be able to continue with you over time and over stages as you grow. Uh, you always want to be bringing in that fresh perspective, but you need all three to kind of shape your decision making. Love it. Well, awesome. This is great. DC, I have to say it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And in keeping with the theme of the Growth of Podcast Goes Seeking Wisdom, I was thinking, could you take us out, see us home, give us one of your famous all right wisdom exit. You, know what, you know what to do open up itunes spotify a stitcher and leave us a six star review now all of those systems happen to be broken they only allow five uh, five stars so what you do is leave a five star review for this podcast and then in the notes write six stars put six stars in there and a little shout out to uh to everyone involved in the podcast thank you love it dc thanks so much for coming on the show all right six stars only That was David Cancel on the Drift Playbook for Hyper Growth. I really hope you enjoyed this one and make sure you give David a shout out on Twitter at dcancel and make sure you let us know what you thought of the episode. As ever, if you have any other thoughts or feedback, then you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward, on LinkedIn or via email at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. And make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are